0: Hey there podcast listeners, welcome to Engendered, the show that features stories that explore the systems, practices, and policies that enable gender-based violence and oppression and the solutions to end it. We use gender as a lens to understand power and oppression, teach feminism, and decolonize hearts and minds one story at a time. I'm your host, Terry Yuan, and this series of episodes on beauty and lifestyle is sponsored by Masami, a premium haircare brand with a unique Japanese ocean botanical called Makabu for the ultimate in botanical hydration. Masami is good for you with no bad ingredients and is vegan and cruelty-free. Masami's ultra-hydrating formula leaves your hair healthy, shiny, and manageable. On this episode of the Engendered podcast, our guest is Etienne Percy, the founder of 90-something Magnolia, a social enterprise which brings together the intersection of fashion, sustainability, and creative entrepreneurship. We speak with Etienne today about how he envisions his platform to be a tool for aspiring creatives to collaborate and to incorporate creative reuse ideas and practices into their business model. This episode is co-produced with 90-something Magnolia. Welcome, Etienne.
1: Hello. Thank you.
0: I'm glad we finally were able to connect. We have to be flexible and responsive to all the different demands in our time. So
1: so true. So true. We don't have to be flexible, but we, when we can be, we are, and appreciation is necessary. So thank you for being so flexible with my uh, quote-unquote entrepreneurial dest- journey to get here.
0: No problem. So I want to start with your background. You had an English degree, but mm. ended up founding this company, 90-something Magnolia, that required you to teach yourself a lot of skills, one of which was sewing and entrepreneurship. I'm curious, what was your journey like that led you from English to creative entrepreneurship?
1: Oh, The journey was... Very organic, I would say. A bunch of going with the flow that accumulated into opportunities and, uh, like you said, new skills that I didn't necessarily set out on gathering, but I learned them along the way and they've been very useful. They've created, like I said, opportunities. After college, I, I studied English in college, like you mentioned. Afterward, I was a little unsure of what was, I was very unsure of what was next, um, and I decided to take a risk, and I moved from Connecticut to New York City. A little unsure of what was next, but um, I ended up, because of a friend from college, I had a, a you know, a very good person in my life who recommended me for a job at a company in very entry-level role, customer experience, customer service if we're going to call it what it is. um, And I say that because I'm sure there are so many people out there who've gotten started in a similar way, um, working with people. Learned a bunch about people, and because the medium that I was working in was clothes, it was fashion, it was menswear. Along the way, I kind of learned and articulated, I love fashion. I love clothes. I love, more importantly, I love style.
0: Were you always someone, when you were growing up, who cared about expressing yourself through clothes?
1: I was, and I think a lot of that has to do with maybe the generation that I have emerged from, which is the 90s, the um, 90s baby, probably a product of the 80s, but I was raised in the 90s. It was a very specific decade, and I was also an athlete and uh, specifically basketball. Um, I play now when I can, when I have the energy and when I have the schedule for it. But I don't know how familiar you are with basketball culture, but style and fashion is very central. This is part of the DNA.
0: You mean style outs-
1: offs- off the court? Both.
0: Oh, in the co- on the court too?
1: Both on the court and off the court. I'm not sure which one is more important, but very much in both.
0: But on the court, everybody was wearing the same thing, so how do you get to express yourself? No, no,
1: no, no, it's not true. On the court, um, everyone's very nuanced and um, whether it's things like the size of your shorts. Michael Jordan came in the 90s and had larger shorts than most guys had had back in the day. Um, And that's like a super specific decision that he made and it was infectious and inspired people. Um, Allen Iverson, um, cornrows in his hair. The, and not to mention the, the, the basic huge fact that they all have their own sneakers, and the sneakers tell stories and their details of their lives kind of sewn into the, the, the patterns of the, the creativity. So all of that's really, really central to the DNA of basketball.
0: Mm, and what does self-expression mean to you as an entrepreneur?
1: It's an outlet. It's therapy. It helps. Get through the day sometimes the day, whether your, your career or just life can be a little tough, especially in the age of the internet and it, for me I'm a, I'm a maker, I gravitate towards doing things with my hands and making I like seeing nothing having this idea that's invisible and then having something tangible and if someone else gravitates towards it, that's a bonus
0: uh-huh well, I asked that because as people of color and minority business owners, both of us and founders. Right, for me actually my first identity at this point in my life is as a survivor of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And so self expression is a form of survival for me. And being able to speak and have these conversations and this podcast is a form of truth telling and and documenting what's happened, you know, not just to me but also systemically what's happening to people all over this country and all over the world. And I feel compelled to do it. It's a survival mechanism, but also a form of healing. So each time I do it is a form of kind of re-inscribing what's happened.
1: Absolutely. It's an exercise in in building yourself up continually. And I'm lucky enough, and it seems like you've become lucky enough to enjoy the process of, of making these things. And for you, you said it's a survival mechanism. For me, it's therapeutic in a, maybe a similar way, um, but also a very different way, of course. We enjoy, it seems like we enjoy this process of, of figuring it out and seeing it elevate and get better with each iteration. So I, I, lo- I don't know. I appreciate that we have that in common.
0: And sharing it, too. It's important. I'll, earlier, you, I mentioned that you learned how to sew on your own. So you were yes. working for this men's fashion company. Mm-hmm. And then what inspired you to learn how to do that? Was it because you wanted to make your own clothes or you were thinking about designing as a profession, as a transition?
1: Like I said, a big part of my journey, at least initially, was not knowing what was next or necessarily specifically what I wanted to do, which I always struggled with growing up. The big question, what do you want to do with your life? What are you going to do with this degree? I always kind of resented those questions just because I didn't have the answer. And I don't know, I feel like it might be easier if you have the answer. But I was just exposed to these things, whether it's clothes or whether it's style. Because there are clothes everywhere. There are clothes in the middle of the country. There are clothes on the coasts. There are clothes in other countries. And everyone has a different approach, so that's whatever. But I was exposed to very specific mentality around the clothes just because I'm in New York City. I'm working at this menswear company. Personal style was in my DNA from when I was very young. I didn't realize that till maybe my the last few years, but I was exposed to all of these things and these resources that I didn't always have. I didn't have these resources, or I didn't realize that I was exposed to these resources prior to moving to New York City, prior to working where I was working, and that exposure in my curious soul, an entrepreneurial spirit, I guess led me down a path of hey i really enjoy this and also to the to- the times um the, the big conversation now around the uh, excess and fast fashion and like it's going green i'm gonna put that in quotes because i'm very cognizant of buzzwords and and labels that can be used as tools to sell things which is like contrary to what all of us are trying to do when we're trying to actually fix problems, but. There's a huge conversation in the world, in my work, on the internet around, we got to do something better. I don't know if it's because like wintertime is becoming extinct (laughs) in places where people now can talk on the news and things like that. But I was thinking about how can we, how can I do better? What can I do? I love clothes. I can't buy all these expensive clothes. Um, I don't have the size closet for For one. Um, I don't have the the salary that's gonna allow me to buy the quality of clothes that I love, but I still want them. I gotta make them.
0: So basically, you were responding to a gap in the market. Yeah. Both in price point and quality, I hear craftsmanship. Craftsmanship. So
1: attention to detail. These things are all very important to me.
0: For me, clothing, especially fast fashion, like I'm. I admit I'm. I'm not going to say which brands because we're not here to promote, the, no, promote those brands, are, but, but I, I, I shop at like a th- one, one of three stores and those stores have price points that are affordable.
1: And I understand and yeah. I empathize and I also still do that. I'm yeah. one step at a time. We'll, we'll, we'll fix everything, but it, it, it's gradual yeah. So, don't feel bad. I don't yeah, I just interject yeah. to say, like, you can't feel bad about it, but you have to at least think about it a little bit more if you can.
0: Well, I certainly do now, and I, I've become much more conscious of the material. Most of the reasons that these products can be sold at such low price points is because they're synthetic. They're sure. some sort of plastic, polyester, it's right? Yes, is everything. Polyester yeah, so if it looks right. like it's wool or if it looks like it's silk and it's, you know, affordable, it's it's because it's polyester mm-hmm. and there are, there are so many environmental consequences to that that it's made me rethink and the whole concept of having a uh, a capsule wardrobe, being more conscious and minimalist in what you need. Mm. Uh, And, you know, sort of this idea of like tiny homes too. Like if you're going to downsize, right?
1: Like I said, this is a theme. I'm exposed to this conversation. What you're saying is exactly what happened. Like just, it happened with clothes and it's happening with houses. It's happening with cars. It's important.
0: Do you feel the same way? Like like looking at all these other industries beyond fashion? Like, do you feel that you're interest in fashion and seeing the gap in the market that you've started to as a consumer become more conscious
1: for sure yeah as i've just been further exposed to it i've elevates my consciousness and makes me care about things that i didn't know i should care or could care about before I had a friend growing up who was huge on recycling cans, um, and I was always just like, "Oh, that's I didn't, I didn't take it as seriously as I take it now." And I still, I don't recycle every can that I interact with in my life right now. Some when it's convenient, I try, I do, of course. But then sometimes you're just doing, life is happening and you, you know what I mean? But focusing on whatever is at your disposal and in your control a little bit more every single day and talking to people about it just forces you to, like I said, care about it a little bit more. And then you, your habits change gradually. But I think the gradual changes are the most impactful.
0: I like the fact that you have this philosophy and approach that's not all or nothing. You give yourself permission to be incremental and to make choices here and there when you need to. Sure. Because some people have the approach that, for example, with the environment and cl- climate crisis, that the problem is so big, there's no point in doing anything.
1: Yeah, and it can feel like that. And that's a scary feeling. But I don't... Enough, I would be lying if I said sometimes it doesn't seem like that. Or, But I, like I said, I... I mean, it's just an innately curious person. I love having exciting experiences, so I try to seek them out or design them for myself and others. So that outweighs that kind of, I don't know, I'm going to use a bad word and say pessimism Um, because we are all still here and it's beautiful outside right now. Um, It's weird because it's March, but it's beautiful outside. We are here having a great conversation, so it's not all bad. A lot of it is crazy and whatever in 2020. Internet, we know what the world is. We see these things. But like I said,
0: it's not all bad. What was the most challenging part of teaching yourself how to sew?
1: Mm, 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 mm. Great question. Most challenging part of teaching myself how to sew was getting started. Probably the same thing that was the most challenging part of starting a podcast probably the most challenging part of no not of anything i'd say the most challenging part of everything is probably consistency it's really hard to be consistent but that's what turns into growth
0: so did you buy your sewing machine first nope oh so you just watch the videos before the actual doing
1: i wanted to do something i think i was like sewing a pair of pants like repairing like I had a pair of pants that i enjoyed and they ripped or something and i like repaired them and I was I was like, oh, this would be easier with a sewing machine, but I don't have hundreds of dollars to go buy a nice sewing machine. I'm not going to buy a crappy sewing machine. So I bought a needle and thread, which I or had a needle and th- I don't remember, but a needle and thread was pure procured. And I got started and I was like, oh, I can actually sew something. And people kind of saw that I was making things and encouraged me to continue. Make. Encouraging is a big part of my story as well. A lot of people have just been very positive and not all positive is positivity is good positivity i think that's a bit of a myth or whatever but a lot of it is and if it's constructive and it comes from a place of attention to detail it can change someone's life and that's just been central to the work as well but it started with the needle and thread um, we saved our pennies and eventually we got those hundreds and whatever. I think it was actually a hundred because it wasn't the world's best sewing machine, but it also wasn't the cheapest. And like I said, entrepreneurially, I'm working my way towards a nicer one because I like craftsmanship. But um, yeah, that turned into a sewing machine maybe a year later. I think I started sewing things. I've always been making things. Um, but I talked about the DNA of my work in my life, playing basketball. I remember writing things on my sneakers for basketball, just whether it's an inspirational quote or it's a little design, I was drawing on my sneakers just uh, instinctively, not realizing, hey, this is design. People get paid billions of dollars or millions of dollars to do this. I was just doing it for myself. I wasn't selling anything. It's important for me to keep the consistency of why I started doing this to now. um, And I'm elevating it, of course, which is where the entrepreneurial part is new.
0: You bought the sewing machine. Yes. Was that before or around the same time that 90 something Magnolia came into being? Oh,
1: much soon, much earlier. Started sewing by hand 2000, maybe 17. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, sewing machine by 2018, earlier in the year, and then YouTube. Were because I didn't need YouTube to sew by hand. That's simple. It wasn't good, but it was doable. It's every anyone can do that. But then YouTube a year later to learn how to do it good, or at least what I perceive to be good. And good is relative. That's a part of my work as well. Good is just better than the last time.
0: Making clothes, it's a multi-step process. There's pattern making, there's actual sewing. Didn't know
1: any of this at first. So
0: every aspect of that you did on your own?
1: Kind of. I'll give you some, some cheat codes that I learned on YouTube. I just started in a lot of... Uh, designers start this way taking something that you have and this is what i learned on youtube take it apart <laughs> remake the shapes and sew it back together so take the shapes of this hoodie and literally just dissect them or break them down like a car <laughs>
0: so basically you reverse reversed engineered exactly your clothing uh for
1: sure and i was exposed and my younger brother found a video online that like explained it in a way that made sense to me because not everyone can explain it some people explain it too fast on youtube some people don't show steps that are i'm a very visual learner i didn't learn that until way way after college (laughs) it would have been nice to know at that point but i figured it out along the way maybe because of fashion
0: what was the impetus for you to start 90 something magnolia
1: That was because I was making things. I learned to sew, and then I was making things. I think first thing I'm making, really basic things. I don't want anyone out there under the impression that I was on some Marc Jacobs or Tommy Hilfiger or Ralph Lauren stuff. I'm taking two old brands that I love, T-shirts that I love. Cutting them in half, that's really easy. Anyone can cut a T-shirt in half. Sewing them together, that's also quite easy. You can do one line if you know how to use a sewing machine. And then that's a a garment. That's a new garment. It doesn't exist in the world before I I had the inclination to do this. And then I was wearing the clothes. I wasn't doing this for other people. I wasn't selling anything. I was just like, oh, I want a new shirt that no one else has. And then I got a couple of compliments. It didn't come in like an avalanche of, hey, you got to make stuff. But a couple of compliments turned into more projects, turned into more projects, which turned to me telling people about Because at first I was very quiet about my work. Because I'm an artist and I'm sensitive. And excuse my English, but Erica Badu said, I think it was Erica Badu, she said, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. And I was, but that will also keep you from talking about it. And if you don't talk about it, you can't, sometimes you can't learn about the other, you can't be exposed to new things.
0: And also when you talk about it, you're making yourself accountable publicly.
1: Yeah, and that's huge. I'm learning about that now as well, um, which is why this conversation part of why this is conversation is very important to me, because that accountability is huge and the narrative is very important. You know, people who aren't necessarily the most well endowed in terms of resources, at least historically, haven't always had the, the tools and the toolkits to showcase their own work or their own, excuse me, to tell their own narrative or write their own narrative in a professional, structured way. So that's not why I do it, but that is a part inherently of, you know what I mean, me trying to grow this into something that is at the very least helpful.
0: So part of the narrative of 90-something Magnolia and the the fashion aspect of the business Mm. is the upcycling part, right? Is that That's intentional. Unintentional?
1: But gradually became intentional. It started, like I said, I didn't have, I couldn't go buy yardage. I didn't have, I, I, I want, and I didn't want, like I said, craftsmanship's always been important to me. I don't know. I think of it now as craftsmanship. Back in the day, it was called vanity or being superficial or whatever. I just like nice stuff. And I wanted to make things, but I, I didn't want to make crappy things. So I'd rather go get an old vintage version of a shirt and make it into a new modern classic than anything else as opposed to like going to get some cheap crappy fabric that I might be able to afford but is probably going to end up in a landfill and it's going to be less loved than the nice version so just by force because of maybe a lack of resources I was forced to use the resources that I had at my disposal and we can all go to a thrift shop you know what I mean this is not a I'm gonna speak about our community. We're in New York City. I'm from Connecticut. Um, I'm. This is the United States. We all have a goodwill, or and I will shout these brands out or these companies because of what they stand for. I guess um, the goodwill or the Salvation Army or places where if you need to, if you have a job interview and you need a suit, you can get a suit for ten bucks. And I'm not saying you. The suit for 10 bucks is the solution to all these or any of these problems, but it could be helpful. And you should know that you you shouldn't feel like you can't do it just because you can't afford the $500 suit or whatever. So it's just, it wasn't intentional, but it's become a theme, a consistent theme. Um, and I don't want to, like I said, I want to keep the reasons that I got started a part of my, my journey.
0: And another part of 90-something Magnolia is your podcast and your platform that you're building for aspiring creatives tell us about that
1: of course 90 something magnolia is a space for launching projects started off as clothes and t-shirts enough space for me to either showcase or potentially sell something that i got compliments on and people said hey i want one of those where can i get it i needed a website and the website now is linkedin you're It's Instagram. It's central. If you want to have something that people can gravitate towards, you have to have a website. That forced me to get a website. It started off as just a space to launch these projects, these ideas. I had ideas in my head, and I needed to put them somewhere tangible. I guess whether it's my creativity or this exposure to these things I've had, it was infectious, and it trickled over to Some of my my loved ones and my co-collaborators and my partners, like I said, the people that also have ideas and want to showcase them and build them and learn. And those people that I work with the best, or at least the most, and speak the same creative language the most with is my family. My 90-something Magnolia started off as a space for ideas, and it has evolved into a bit of a family business. And sure, I... And the maker who made the idea or came up with the name, I'll put in quotes, 90-something Magnolia. I don't love names. and I don't love labels. And I'll say that here for the record. But it's important. It's important. I don't have to like it, but it's important to all you young, aspiring creatives. Think about it, but then move on from it.
0: But what actually, what does 90-something Magnolia mean? Where does the name come from? it comes from my
1: origin story the reasons i got started where i come from my journey life creative etc it got started in the 90s and so many some things happened in the 90s cause, um 90s were a very central decade or maybe not central but influential i think it's, you know there's some every decade's important but some i think shape things a little bit differently than others whether it's the 80s or 70s or back in the thirties when crazy things were happening um the internet changed a lot in the 90s it changed everything in the 90s something is kind of this it's an x factor Um, i'm kind of freestyling a little bit with this but something just represents like whatever it is you're doing you can you can turn it into something uh, organized and tangible and and you can grow it and then magnolia is both a beautiful flower and i kind of have a green thumb and plants are important Sidebar, my first possession in New York City that I moved from Connecticut with was a, a plant. And it's one of the, <laughs> the only possessions that I have to this day that is, has traveled consistently with me from apartment to sublet to apartment to sublet. It's a very New York City thing. Um, so shout out to the plants. But um, it's, it's also the name of the street that I grew up on okay, when I, I was see. a child. Magnolia Street.
0: Well, Magnolias are beautiful.
1: They are beautiful. And I always take photos of them when I see them.
0: And do you, remember, do you know the, the, the cultivar? No, you're, call, you're
1: calling me out now. you are getting, we're getting in can, the weeds we, here. We, we can look it yeah, up later. We'll, you can tell me.
0: I will send you a photo
1: and then you can tell me because you are much more well-versed on the plant life than I.
0: Well, I I think being a plant parent is also, since we're talking about self-expression, Yes, it's also a form of self-expression for me, but also it's it gets back to... What I was saying earlier about how this podcast and speaking is a form of healing, I think parenting plants is a form of also, for me, when I was working in a professional setting where I had my own office and, and a great window, um, I had a lot of plants. Mm. And, and that wasn't every professional setting had its challenges. Sure. And for that particular professional setting, I had a plant that opened and closed every day you know, awesome. based on the sunset, That's right? That's
1: super awesome. Yeah.
0: And so to me, yeah. that was like a visual representation every day of hope and change. Yep. And it was really kind of what I needed every day to sort of get me through <laughs> that particular circumstance.
1: That little slice of therapy, like I said, it yeah, makes plant a difference. therapy. And every day, it's that consistency of that routine. It feels good. It feels nice. I think humans are creatures of habit. Yeah. Uh, and crazy things happen when we step good or whatever bad or whatever just things happen when you step out of the consistency like move to new york city or start a podcast or start making clothes but the consistency can also be really beautiful and helpful
0: Mm -hmm. so tell us about your podcast what are some of the conversations that have been most inspiring to you and that you've heard from your listeners have been most inspiring to them
1: I got started on the podcast and I enjoy the podcast because it's a different outlet. It's different than clothes. Just like your work day, just like your life, just like your family. You always got to shake things up a little bit, step out of this, go have a breath of fresh air over there, just to reinvigorate and stay excited, stay curious, just kind of have these different lanes that you can navigate in your life. or at least for me? I don't know, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but that's what kind of helps me navigate every day. And the podcast was something new for me that I, like I said, I'm super curious, and I maybe a year. Maybe around the same time I started sewing, I never thought about this actively, but I'm freestyling with my, my, my story here. Maybe around the same time I started sewing, 2018, I also started podcasting. I grew up very much loving music, huge music lover, still am, all kinds. But I had stopped listening to so much music because I realized I'm podcasting all the time. I'm just listening because I'm trying to learn. Um, I'm a visual person, um, and I'm an English major, but reading books has always been a bit of a challenge for me. Um, I'm a slow reader. I didn't know what a slow reader was as a child. I was just like, oh, why can't? Why is it taking me way longer than everyone else to get through this page? And that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's just because I read words three times to make sure that I understand. But no one teaches you this in school, and it makes you feel discouraged. So now I want to talk to people about it so that no one has- Feels bad about being a slower-paced reader or just having a different learning style than everybody else. Podcast was a different outlet, and then I, I need guests, as you know full well. I imagine sometimes finding proper guests or sensible guests can be difficult. Schedules are hard. Finding interesting stories is hard because everyone has a story, but not everyone is able to package it in a way that makes sense. So. I needed to find people who I can really talk to and speak the same language with and be excited with and happy to make something with. And I, I was like, who better to do that than with those same partners and co-collaborators in my family, aka my, my family, my loved ones, who better to do it with than them? So I got started with my younger brother. He was a student right now. He's also a creative. Asking him, what are you doing? What's going on in your life? You're doing all of these different things. How's it feel? Just documenting his process because other people can learn from it. Other people will learn from it, whether they like it or not. What they learn from it is TBD.
0: Kind of like startup, Gimlet startup.
1: It's easy to pay, pay attention to and care about something or someone after they've become successful. I don't value that. I value... The hard moments that it's like, oh, this is just a weird idea that no one else either knows about or believes in. But I learned that once you start talking about it, you realize there are other crazy people out there too who kind of will believe in it a little bit and they encourage you and you start believing in yourself. And I had a very wise person tell me that, like, just start doing it and the people around you will support you because they love you. And if you get better then the people around them, will. it grows very organically. And I did it with, like I said, those family. It's an extension of this family business that I keep alluding to.
0: I like the idea that you're showcasing a journey that's in progress with no outcome yet that you're aware of. And so you're basically celebrating the process itself and not the outcome necessarily and not the result because we're so focused in our society On winning, just part of like our patriarchal kind of definition of what success is and less about the process, which defines the ethics of it, your value system, how you get there, the how versus the what and the when.
1: Which is why I'm that is all. I don't know, that was a lot of words you said, but they're all very important and specific, and that, if we could smash that into a title, that's what I want to convey with my work, the process versus this outcome. Uh, An outcome, I, I guess I value the process more because everyone, one, I'm a little contrarian, I guess, I'm a little artistic, I don't know, I just try to go with my own flow as opposed to the m- main thinking or mainstream idea or whatever but um just getting started learning that is central um, this process letting it evolve and i didn't start off that way like i said i started ha- if i learned to sew in 2018 i bought a moleskin notebook shout out to moleskin i will say that brand because it helped me it's very it was a i consider i have this philosophy of power tools And uh, you think of a power tool, a tractor trailer, you think of a buzz saw, you think of whatever, I don't know. Things that make things happen. (laughs) You get results done with power tools. My power tool, and I thought about this concept, came from 2016. I'm open sourcing it. I'm giving it away because it's more useful out there than it is in here. And if it comes from the right place, which it does, it will come back to me. But um, my power tools are my cell phone. My power tools are my laptop. My, I was able to hit you up and communicate, hey, running a little behind schedule, please bear with me. You were receptive, and that changed this entire experience. Um, that's a powerful thing to make happen. My Moleskin notebook, I had a friend who was, my, my relationships can also be power tools if you care about them and grow them who said, I was having all these ideas. Like I said, I'm a very curious and creative person, and ideas can be dangerous because you have so many of them, and they're bursting off in your head a mile a minute, and that's overwhelming, and that's discouraging if you don't. We like results, humans. So I have just kind of learned to showcase and open source my process, and other people have learned alongside me, which is where I think a lot of that encouragement comes from.
0: So you and I met at Re-Fashion Week. Yes. And you had an opportunity to, I'm guessing, meet some of your peers in this space. Yes. People who are either upcycling or recycling yes. or um, are, are examples of sustainable fashion and reducing waste in fashion. Yes. What were your thoughts about Fashion Week? Did you come away with any kind of inspirations?
1: Absolutely. Um, my inspiration that I walked away with was just more of this positive reinforcement. It just I kind of look at life, you're walking down a road and you get signs that say stop or go, and it's just another sign that says, dude, keep doing what you're doing. Do it better, of course. Do more of it, of course, always. But, but keep doing it. Um, I started this creative journey on youtube.com. It's a power tool. Um, anyone can go on youtube.com. You can go sit in McDonald's and find a device. And we all have devices. If you don't have a device, I'm not talking about you. But if you have a cell phone or laptop, you can go there. And some people started their design journey with a full ride to FIT. Or, and there's no shade to that at all. I love that. Uh, that's your journey, um, and it's useful. You have way more technical skills than I have, and right now, I'm I'm hungry for those technical skills. But that wasn't my journey. And for my YouTube tinkerings and late-night sessions to evolve into this professional showcase that not only has introduced me to people, but I've sold my work in person as an artist for the first time ever, that is a sign that says keep going. Um, And I need to, one... Listen to that sign. I don't want to sound all hippy-dippy or anything like that, but I just I, just listening to what the things that are, or paying attention to the things that are happening in my life and trying to just, A, make the most of them, and, two, just be strategic with them. So the inspiration was just keep doing what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing yet, like you kind of alluded to, but you're doing something. The fact that you and I are here right now having this conversation on this day is, a, is evidence of that. And then, two, the fact that I can now say, quote, unquote, I'm a designer. And I told you about these labels that I'm weary of. But technically, I did a design. I showcased my work as an artist and as a designer. And that's invaluable. Uh, No one can ever take that away from me. And I will continue to manifest opportunities for myself and others based on that thing that grew from a seed of YouTube (laughs) tinkering at, like, 2 a.m. when my girlfriend's, like, frustrated with the sewing machine being messy.
0: You were talking earlier about that archetype of an FIT student, you know, versus you who's basically self-taught designer. What differentiates you from someone like that? What are some of the advantages that you have that may help you in your journey that someone with a more established traditional academic background in a certain trade may not have?
1: Um... I can't speak to that. I can't speak to advantages or disadvantages because I've never been that person who had those opportunities. I've only been my, so I can only speak about my process and what I have had access to. Similar to those basketball stories, that that's why I got started. Um, so I don't know about disadvantages or advantages. I can't, I, can't, I can't concretely describe that. But I do know what has helped me go from the ideas in a moleskin notebook to talking to people about an event that I showcased my work in. Was this resourcefulness, just being scrappy, which is an upstart mentality, you know what I mean? You don't have to have learned on YouTube. Some people are uh, business students who have, I don't know, a business MBA from Harvard, and they get capital, and they use it creatively, and that's scrappy too. But my version of scrappy was different, but scrappy is scrappy, and you're like, I want to do something? I'm going to figure out how to get it done. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to get there and might look a little different at the end, but we're going to get there and it's going to be good. And if it's not good, at least I'm going to have learned and enjoyed the process. And I can always move away from it or move on to something new at any point, which is that's the thing about an it. entrepreneur. It's, that's the difference between a career and an entrepreneur. You, You're in control of this. I can step away and do other things or additional things at any point. That's why I got started. That's why I started sewing, because I don't have to wait for some production team to send me garments that I paid a whole bunch of money for. And if they're wrong, now I got to freak out. And the rest of my years changed.
0: I would challenge you around (laughs) around the concept that people with with greater sources and larger sources of funding might be more creative and innovative. Potentially, because they are going to be circumscribed in their activities, they're going to be more risk averse, right? Because they're managing true. to a, a profit line very, very that is going to be predictable, potentially. Totally. And they're going to be less willing to make tweaks that are going to jeopardize their sources of you know, sustainable funding, right? Have to take the safer approach. Yeah.
1: Because you need a specific outcome, whereas I need an outcome, but it's ever evolving. And
0: also, you're talking, your whole point is talking about the process. That yeah. fact that the process is dynamic, and you have, if forgive me for using this term, but if I may, you have a North Star, but you don't actually have a, proce- a predefined journey or path for getting there.
1: Totally. It's super important. And I like that North Star analogy, but yeah, it's very valid and accurate. The North Star is success, and I measure success by, are you better off? Are you more resourceful? Are you happier than yesterday? Or, or if you're not, are you working more than you were towards it? Just doing a little bit more or a little bit better? Sometimes more is less. Sometimes you could be more strategic so you don't have to do all this work. Are you doing more of whatever you, wherever you wanna be getting? And success is relative. It's so important. I'm gonna emphasize that again because sometimes you're just thinking about that salary or that shiny thing, that whatever it is. It's so different for everyone. So different for everyone. They don't teach you that, but it's true. Are you expanding your toolkit every day or, or c- caring and thinking, if that's what you wanna do? Some people don't wanna do that. Some people are okay. Uh, I think I'll use a scary bad word that is complacency. Some people might frame that as complacency, but I don't necessarily think it's only complacency. Some people just don't have the energy to do all this, to to focus on expanding their toolkit, or that's just not what they value. They're okay where they are, and that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not what I'm doing. That's not where I'm at in my process, so like I said, I can't speak to any of that. Uh, I can only speak to trying to expand my abilities and trying to Provide inspiration or encouragement or opportunity to the people around me who are like-minded. And I will also emphasize the fact that like-minded people come in all shapes, forms, sizes, colors, creeds, experiences. So that's why I don't bucket any of this as a fashion brand or very, very ugly word that I... I'm going to say ugly because I'm going to take a stance. Um, Coded language type of word is the word urban. I don't appreciate that word. Because it means something that you're not saying, not you, just the industry or whatever, the powers that be, whether goal or process is so different. And I just want to like empower your process, no matter who you are, no matter what it is, just because I don't know, I had good people around me who did that for me. And that's why I was able to do what I feel are interesting experiences in a really beautiful place.
0: Getting back to your dislike of the term urban, is that because of the people that it tends to define as the producers of that, or the targets of consumption, or is it more about cultural appropriation potentially?
1: It's more about, it's less about the word urban and more about these labels in general. Urban is just a very specific label that kind of a lot of people are familiar with, but there's also a bunch of other ones that are similar that I could also explain in a similar way, but Specific to the word urban, I don't. I don't know. I just don't like. I think that you're talking about a specific type of people, and you're trying to make it seem like you're talking about a much larger group of people than you actually are. And I don't like that. I feel like that's a bit of that's a little bit manipulative. It. And some Can, people. I think I
0: need you to explain sure, that sure, a little sure. bit more for sure, me. Sure, sure,
1: sure. Sure, I'm totally happy to, and I won't get too deep on it because it's not about that conversation, but it's a part of it. I think usually when the term urban is used, it's what you're referring to. Sure, people in the city, people.
0: You uh, mean the consumers or, or the fashion style are people in the city versus. Just
1: lifestyle, not fashion. It could be the way you shop. That can be a bucket for groceries that could be considered urban. You got now Whole Foods is kind of becoming urbanized where it's like in the city, whereas before it wasn't. And that's a version of urban, which is...
0: Wait, so are you saying that it's derogatory because it's being commoditized?
1: No, it's not derogatory. But long story short, I think when people use the word urban, a lot of times it can, you're referring to either black people or people of color, whereas it's communicated in a way that makes it seem like it's just like, oh,
0: this is everyone in the city. So it is about cultural appropriation. Sure, sure.
1: And yes. Yeah. Maybe it's like a subset of cultural uh, appropriation. This, this, this specific language is like a, is a byproduct of cultural pr- appropriation, which I'm kind of thinking through this. I'm freestyling right. so, a little bit so right like, now.
0: So like, you know, clothes from the, the inner city. Right. And now it's become kind of like hip hop. It's consumed by all kinds of people, all ages, all ethnic groups yeah, I mean, and generations. And yet there's been no acknowledgement of its roots and sources that's true and and those roots and sources aren't getting a share of the profit
1: that is a true fact i would i think um based on the little bit of context that i have about all these industrial powers that be um but i don't know if i just think if you're gonna uh, is more than anything in terms of the word urban specifically, I just think it can be misleading. Like, who are you talking about? Are you talking about people in the city? Are you talking about black people? Are you talking about people of color? Because they all mean very different things. And I think that that misleading component can just can be potentially harmful, um, depending on the confusion that it creates.
0: So what about other terms like the term sustainability? That's that's a term that comes up often totally. in this space. And in, in Refashion Week, totally. sustainability was in almost every panel or every branding, right? right? Yep, sustainable sure. fashion. Right. How do you feel about that?
1: I feel like sustainable, and mind you, we're talking about words now, and words are very specific and nuanced, so that I'm happy to talk about it. We're getting in the weeds here. Um, but sustainable is maneuvering term. And because it's new, and it's like maybe new in the last, I don't know, you correct me if I'm wrong, five or ten, maybe fifteen years at least on the consumer-facing side of this industry. Because it's so new, and it's like a thing that people are thinking about differently now, having this, this term helps people just get on board and understand like this is a really big problem. I don't prefer labels at all. So I would rather say, hey, let's fix the world. Let's stop global warming. Let's talk about the specific things that we're actually talking about rather than just use this sustainable word that is often part of marketing campaigns. And I don't believe that it was a part of a marketing campaign for Refashion Week, you know what I mean, inherently. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been a part of it if I, if I felt averse to the how they were concepting the, the project. But I would rather just specifically use, use, like I said, language is impactful. You can change the world of language and how you say these things. Or you can, like, destroy someone's life. We've seen that very recently in the news or whatever, the internet. So I like that I don't like the just the vague th- element of these words that can kind of have different implications for different people. Let's actually talk about the people or the communities that we're talking about or the problems that we're talking about. Let's... This event is to encourage recycling or creative reuse because we are trying to reverse climate change or put a band-aid on it or whatever you're trying to do specifically. I didn't come up with refashioning, so I, that's not my definition to make, but let's talk about the specifics.
0: Are you saying that terms such as the word sustainable can be in some ways masking the privilege of those who get to use it to describe themselves and their behaviors. So it's still, there's an element of privilege that comes with these labels, like to be someone who's consumer of sustainable fashion, you have to first know what that term means. And then you also have to be someone who rejects fast fashion, you have to be able to have the time and the resources to create your own things and to choose something that might be more expensive and that not necessarily in financial cost, but in time cost and learning like you did. And it may be easier just to go to a a store that sells things at a low price point.
1: Which is why I sometimes still do. And I don't, that's true. That's very true. Um, You can only affect what you know about and have access to. And I'm really fortunate. I've been really, I'm not the most fortunate, or I am the most fortunate actually. I would take that back and you can keep that in. I am the most, I am very fortunate. I'm blessed. I enjoy my life. Um, Has it been easy? Totally no. Thousand percent no. I've had hard learning moments recently and back in the day, in the nineties and in the 2020s. But I've been exposed to really awesome opportunities and places to learn and people to introduce me to new things and this an unfolding process every evolving process of just learning new cultures and new philosophies and new tactics so I try to take some of that fortune that I've been has <laughs> been bestowed upon my my life and my creative process and make it as infectious as possible. That's important to me, that's central to my work. I guess it is a bit of a luxury to be able to think and care about these things. Um, And I I guess my 90-something Magnolia entrepreneur part of it is to make it less of a luxury and more of just like this is normal. Like I don't have a hundred garments in my closet and I only wear 15 garments nine months out of the year. I, I encourage someone, this is a slice of life that I have taken from a wise person that I worked with a few years ago and he shall rename nameless but he said go to your closet and count how many garments are in there he said the word garment I didn't used to use the word garment I used to say clothes or pieces of clothes or whatever but garment now I kind of see clothes as more of as art or expressions of one's extensions of oneself I, uh, the word garment is important count how many garments you have in your closet and then f- think about how many garments you actually wear And I grew up with sneakers. I'm a sneaker lover. That's If you know, you've been living in New York City, so you know the Knicks specifically from the 90s. Or I don't know how close you were, but that was huge in New York City culture, American culture, sports culture, which is very universal language. It's also an excessive. Excess is inherent in that culture, has been thus far. Maybe I could do a little bit to move the needle to make it 1% less or more less excessive. But I had, I remember closets full of sneaker boxes. How many pairs of sneakers? I might have wore them all, but now I'm going two months changing my shoes every day just so I can keep them all fresh and clean. But it's like, I don't know. Maybe it's the organic uh, end result of having a tiny New York City apartment. I can't do the shoes like that anymore. Or maybe it's like, I don't care about the shoes. Is, I love shoes, and I'll always love shoes. I'll, I'm on this journey for the same reasons that I got started on this journey. But now I'd rather have one really nice pair of shoes than have five, like, whatever pairs of shoes. And I didn't start that, like, oh, I want to make the world some more sustainable. But I've just elevated my consciousness and thinking about the way I can make my life better. I do think it's better for the world. And I think it's infectious. And that's like, that infectious component here is powerful.
0: Well, I think this is a great segue into our concluding questions. The Engendered Questionnaire. First question, what is at stake in the struggle to end gender-based violence and oppression?
1: That's a big question. I have to think
0: about that for a moment here. (laughs) The most important thing, I think, people, lives. What gives you hope?
1: People. Younger people, often. I'm the... I'm an elder sibling of a large family, and just new perspectives, ideas, voices, processes, approaches, refreshes and excites me. I'm cur- I don't know if it's because I was born this way or something happened in my life along the way that made me really curious, but I, like, I love to learn. And they are so forward-thinking because I don't know why. I'm still learning why they're so forward-thinking kids. But... It's very inspiring, and it, like, keeps my eyes wide. People.
0: And final question. What can we do more of, less of, start or stop to end gender-based violence and oppression? More
1: conversations. More talking about it. That's I'm big. I've been saying this for all year. Um, talk about it. The problems, the, the learnings the the lessons and you, you don't have to talk about it with everyone you don't have to talk about it with anyone you could talk about it in the mirror to yourself you could talk about it in the corner with a book it doesn't but talk about it express yourself uh get it out cuz these things happen and you keep it bottled up and it just becomes overwhelming and clouds judgment and weighs on our lives so talk more more conversations in whatever way makes sense to you it could be a podcast it could be uh, YouTube documentary. It could be you playing video games with your friends and you're talking smack. You're talking smack and just whatever. But then you can also step aside and have a deep conversation with those friends about hard things in school or whatever. Talk about it. The Internet has divided people more than ever, and that's super dangerous and scary. So I'm going to go back to that pessimism a little bit. That's really, it's very related to the global stuff. But um, People can scroll like experts, but we can't necessarily talk to random people in a comfortable way, and that is important. It's, just, it's a uh, lost art, but uh, it's important art to me. So talk more. Value opinions less, maybe. Trust your own process. Trust yourself. We all are blessed in this life with some kind of thing that is, it, is some kind of tool. It might be one tool at first. And now you're not, it might be a dusty old tool that needs to be polished and whatever, but it's one tool. Uh, you might not even have a toolkit yet, but you got a tool. That tool could be just air in your lungs. That tool is air in your lungs. That if you have that, you're here and that's, you could see that sun out there, or I don't know if they have the sun in other parts of the world anymore, but. If you're here, you got that one tool. Um, You can use that to collect other tools and to do things for yourself that you wanted to do or didn't know you wanted to do. You didn't realize that drawing on sneakers was fashion design when you were like 13 years old. Valuing other people's opinions less, I think, will keep you empowered and encouraged and value your own opinion more than you value other people's opinion. Sorry, that's not a less, but it's important, I think. Start doing what you enjoy. And if you don't know what you enjoy, just start doing random things. Go play chess in New York City. The park's free. It's an awesome park. You can take photos. Start taking photos and posting them on Instagram. That's what you want to do. A lot of people are kind of grossed out by the idea of social media, whatever. But there's people make changing their own lives and changing their loved ones' lives because they were creative on social media. Start whatever it is. Start sewing by hand. You'll have a sewing machine next summer. <laughs> Or it might be two summers from now, but eventually you have a sewing machine. Start a podcast. Eventually you'll get a guest. Start questioning this, what you're doing. Like, why am I doing this? But question it with intentions of getting where you want to get to. Uh, everyone wants to get somewhere different, but you're not going to get there if you're just kind of meandering and you're not thinking about these things. And I think, Because of the internet or because of the powers, that big buzzword that I do think is important is propaganda. Sometimes it's easy to meander, but think about what you're doing and and care about it.
0: Thank you so much, ATN, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Engendered. The show is sponsored by Masami, the premium hair care brand with a unique Japanese ocean botanical called Makabu for the ultimate in botanical hydration. You can find Masami online at lovemasami.com and share your hair at Love Hair on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest or Twitter. And you can listen to this podcast on Castbox. Download it for free and listen to anything. CastBox, the best podcast listening app out there.